everybody, and welcome back to the Life, Love, and Existential Dread podcast. My name is Brian Arad. I'm a film composer in Los Angeles, California, and we're so glad to have our co-host back with us, Nathan Shelton, actor, writer, director, producer, and Marty McFly impersonator. How are you doing, Nathan? Good. I'm Marty McFly stung by bees. Uh, Stung by bees. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Puffed up Marty McFly. Oh, Uh, so glad to have you back. You're in Mexico for Mexico again for a little while. Now you're back. We had a co-host on filling in for you. My friend Curtis, Curtis Bedford was on, did a great job. Yeah. um, But he's not you. That's what I'm saying. He's not you. So glad to have you back on. Yeah. He's not as puffy as me. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) I bring the puff to the show. I bring the puff. (laughs) <laughs> Stay puffed. Stay, Stay puffed. sheltered. Yeah. Stay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, another exciting episode. Got a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. One thing I want to talk about you, which I briefly talked about with Curtis, is working on a film set and working with other actors. I don't have any experience with this, namely because I'm a film composer. So right, I want to ask you studio. about. Th- yeah. Yeah. I'm in the studio. I, I work at my computer primarily, you know, so I don't meet all these people. But I've been doing some of that lately. Been out here, been uh, in the audience for several game shows, and I've been an extra on two major films. Two major films, all right? And um, it was total fluke. I was on castingnetworks.com, and all I did was put up a picture of myself. I'm not, I, I got a hat on. I even got a hat on. My glasses aren't on. And um, that picture has got me a whole bunch of stuff. So I Walking ask, Dead, your natural looking not, zombie. No, is <laughs> no. Oh, look at that guy, he looks fucking dead. He looks, uh, he looks ugly, show. dead. He looks at his skin. He's he's gray skin. He's dead. Let's put him on <laughs> Walking Dead. Yes. No, not Walking Dead. Um, one movie. It's a remake of the White Men Can't Jump movie from '92. They remade what? that. Why are they doing it? I don't know. Why are they doing it? You look, you, you look on the actors list. Uh, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes are not on the actors. Maybe there'll be a cameo on there, but they're not a part of it. Give it a year and it'll be on Broadway as a major musical. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I love that movie. I thought it was so funny, you yeah. know, and, and they're both actually. Joint. And they're, yeah, and they're actually both really good basketball players. Like, that's why they got to do it. And I found out actually that our Wesley Snipes couldn't play basketball, but he learned how to do it. You know, when, well, once he got the role, he he kind of lied about it. But actually, Woody Harrelson, you know, he was always playing pickup games. He was actually very good even before the movie starts. Okay, doesn't matter. The yeah. the the remake. There's one actor I recognize. I don't know if you know this actor. His name is uh, uh, Lance Riddick, uh, taller guy, bald uh, bald guy. And uh, he's been a ton of stuff. I recognized him from The Wire. He had a major role on that one. Who was but he in The Wire? I forget his. I forget his character. But I remember watching that show and okay. seeing him on there. And then he was there, and I'm standing right behind him oh, cool. in this in this movie. All right. So the scene I'm doing, the scene I'm an extra in. I'm a college scout, and a younger version of the Wesley Snipes character is in high school, and he's playing basketball on a high school basketball team. Mm-hmm. And I'm a college scout along with th- five or six other college scouts trying to find the next person to come to their school. Okay. Yeah, right. And I, and then his dad is this guy, uh, Lance Riddick. All right. And so I'm standing behind him on the sidelines in this gymnasium, watching him play basketball. And let me tell you, the kid, they got to play the younger version of Wesley Snipes. He's going to be the NBA. This kid was unbelievable. You see him warming really? up. He's got this guy um, teaching him choreography, you know, basketball choreography, where to pass, when to shoot and everything. He's sinking threes from way downtown, way downtown, sinking threes, alley-oops, slam dunks, his head's above the rim. I, I couldn't believe this kid. Anyway, unbelievable, on and off the camera, off the camera, on the yeah. camera. He's getting all this stuff done. So anyway, I'm standing behind uh, the, the actor playing his father, and we're supposed to be like, oh, oh, you know, taking notes on the next big thing. We're trying to recruit him and all that stuff. We were there for 10 hours. I couldn't believe it. I was standing, standing in this one spot for 10 hours. The old adage is hurry up and wait. That's what they say. Being this, yeah. and you know, and I realize that's the gig and the extras yeah. and everything. 
But I want to ask you about these situations. I don't know if you've ever been an extra on a movie or anything like that, one of these lesser roles. But we're going into this uh, holding area and uh, checking in everything. It's I couldn't believe the level of unorganization. It was crazy. Now, they had taken over a high school campus, this whole movie. So trailers, sound equipment, camera equipment is everywhere. You know, six, seven uh, dressing trailers alone. Uh, um, The equipment for the show. I mean, everything is everywhere. It was like a big budget movie. This is a Disney movie. Oh, and And so we're going in there. Disney bought that property. Yep. Yep. Remake. Interesting. Yeah. Remake. Yep. I, I, I really think it's a money grab. You know, people sure. see that title as, as a money grab anyway. But out, out of it, more than anything, it's more out of curiosity. I was like, what is this thing? What am I doing here? Let's just figure it out. So you get in there, and one thing that was really good is they have you check in to a parking structure, and then they shuttle you to the movie set, which right. is unbelievable because, I don't know, anyone been to L.A., parking is outrageous and unbelievable. So, you can have your car parked in a parking structure. You don't have to worry about it and anything. And then they shuttle you to the movie right. set. I was like, oh, that's great right there. And once we get there, we check into this thing and they said, oh, I don't have your name on here. Oh, these are scans of the list and everything. So your, may not, your name may not be on here or whatever. Let's write it down and figure it out. I was like, oh, man, already lots of trouble. Yeah. Uh, trying, trying even to check into this thing. And then I go over to wardrobe and they said, dress like these pictures, try to look like a college scout. So I had this polo shirt on black polo, mm-hmm. uh, long khaki pants and white tennis shoes. I was like, well, that's, I think that looks pretty much like what a college scout was. I was like, well, we like all that. We'll give you a different shirt. And so I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And I just wore a different shirt. And, um, Checking into that, oh, you got to give it. And the way you get paid on this thing is you hand this voucher to certain people and then you get it back at the end and sign out when you left. And so, oh, we got to check this in. Oh, we don't have your name either. What is your name? And the level of organization in the wardrobe department alone was outrageous. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So we're standing there. There's like five or six of us and we're getting people are getting different clothes on and everything. And finally, uh, there's three women that come over and they go, oh, I like this. I like that, you know, and they're approving the wardrobe and they take a picture. And finally, we go over to this holding area. And um, so that that was I, I, I couldn't believe how long it took just for that. You know, it's like five or six of us. Get us give us the shirts, give us the pants, change us into whatever you want us to do and then get us out of here. But it's just it was so unorganized. It was so crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it too, though, the the way that that works with extras is that there's like a whole wrangling area of the movie that has to deal with that. And on any given day, you have potentially hundreds of extras, including like extreme background, like background walkers and stuff going through and featured extras. And excuse me. So with that, it has nothing to do with the like primary principal people. You know, usually it's a, it's not even in television it's a little different you know but like sometimes it's not even the director that's dealing with that it's like a but you know a, a, another assistant director you know doing second unit third unit fourth unit kind of stuff so it 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 does feel like it you know because they only can plan so much plus with those extras sometimes half of them show up you know it's like you don't know because a lot of extras aren't professional there are professional extras that do it all the time, but then there's people that answer ads on Facebook. So, you know, you never know. You just never know. So that's why they can't plan too much because if they do, they're going to get screwed because only half the people are going to show. So they kind of have to play it by ear. And, and I'm, I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware of that. And that was one thing I was noticing about the game shows. They always overbook just right. to be sure they, have, they want all the seats filled. And, and so if bumped. other people – and people and you you don't get but you still get paid but like mm. you have to sit out you're not actually in the game show you're not actually in right. the audience you're just sitting out like in a holding area okay and same thing for this thing there were 300 extras in this for the white man can't jump because it's an audience right for right in, sitting in the stands of a high school basketball game okay yeah. so there's 300 tremendous amount of people to deal with so but but just getting in there checking in the wardrobe uh, fiasco was I, I couldn't believe the level of unorganization. It was it was so nuts. What do we do with them? What do we do with him? We got to da- we got to take him over here. Did you sign him in? Did you get his value? I mean, it's just like oh, 
me. Yeah. I could solve. You know, he had one person with a head on their shoulders. They could have, you know, cut out like an hour and a half of all that crap. Anyway, we yeah, get to the. It's crazy. Anyway, we get to the holding area, which is another high school gymnasium on the same high school campus. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I know what that is. You just sit there and wait. And then they're calling people in. There's girls that are cheerleaders. There's people that are referees for the game. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we were, uh, me and these five, six other guys were the college scouts. Everybody else was crowd for the, for the, uh, for the game. Mm-hmm. And they say, okay, even if he doesn't make a basketball shot, even if he misses, you got to cheer and scream like crazy. But he's making a lot of them. And the crowd was excellent. I will say that. The crowd was reacting appropriately and doing all this stuff. And I was kind of like reacting a little bit like a like a crowd member. And then the director comes up to the five or six of us. He's like, you guys just calm down and pretend like you're talking about him, trying to recruit him for your college. You can't react like the rest of the crowd. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you know, I have no acting experience. What the hell am I doing? Right. So, uh, so th- yeah, but the director came over and directly told us, and I wasn't yeah. the only one doing it. It was one, a couple of the other guys were doing the same thing, you know, like sure. cheering and for him. I was like, no, you're a college scout. You don't cheer for the guy. You're trying to recruit the guy, but the crowd was excellent. And, um, and um, so we're standing behind the dad of this kid who's trying to be recruited. And so I know the cameras are on us. And so do all the other extras. All right. And so he's making these shots. He's doing all this stuff. And this guy is like bumping into me and trying to knock me out of the shot because he's trying to get on camera. I swear uh, to God. An extra was? An extra was, oh. you know, and the, and the, the director is, and it might've been an assistant director. I don't know, but he's like placing us in this crowd. And it's like, yeah. you stand here, you stand here, you stand here, but you college scouts stand behind the dad. And like, right. you're talking to him and trying to talk him into letting you, letting his right. kid come yeah, to yeah, the yeah. school. But this other extra kept slamming into me, like cheering when he'd make a slam dunk. And so one time I was like, all right. And I just like stood my ground and like had a really tight, you know, stronger stance. And then he bumped into me. I didn't move, you know, and he, and he got a message, got the message. Don't bump into me. I know you're trying to get on camera. The director placed me here. Don't, don't try that. He didn't try that again, but you know, he's like half my age and in really good shape and everything. So I really don't want to mess with the guy. Um, <laughs> Get, but, get your ass kicked just for fighting over a, a, being on camera for trying seconds. to get on the camera because you can yeah. see the camera. You can see the oh, cameras. Sure, there's sure. there's two of them. You know, one was diagonal, one was straight on me because it's the dad on, and he's like. And the then when the movie show. comes out, they'll cut that whole scene. Of course they will. <laughs> of course they will. You never know. At least it's a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so, but it was ten hours. Ten hours. So you got like SAG day rate, right? Um, well, I'm non union. I'm non-union. It so doesn't got, matter so, though, but it's a so sad project. Well, less. but you would still get the like the day a typical day rate, right? Like for an extra player. It was it the, what they usually say is $120 for eight hours. But yeah, here for TV, it's like 80 if I remember right, or 85. But that was like years ago. That was a couple that was like 2015, 2015. Oh, really? Okay. I mean yeah. That's what it was for Chicago PD. The one time I ever did extra work, you know, and I was trying to meet people in the film industry, which doing extra work is not really a great way to do that because you're, you're in there with a bunch of non-actors, but I was new to the city and I went in to do extra work on, I answered a call for Chicago PD um, and and I was, uh, it was winter in Chicago. So it was crazy. And that, that winter was pretty bleak. And we did a, we were shooting a, um, uh, a scene they told us it was going to be in a coffee shop so I was like okay well I've got my horn-rimmed glasses you know and I'm like you know I'm, I'm kind of I can be hipstery so I'm going to dress a little hipstery it's going to be in a coffee shop so and I didn't know what was going on so I show up we go up to the studio and they have us there and they're looking at wardrobe and everything and what we wear they like it and everything looks good and then they tell us when we get there oh they changed the location and now we're going to be in a dive uh like a uh kind of a sleazy rundown um a greasy spoon diner and it's like that is vastly different than what we were told and what we were told to prepare nobody emailed us to tell us that we needed to change so they were picking the roughest looking people to be featured and i was like well i don't look rough enough because i didn't prepare and i was really upset about that because i was like I, you know coming out here spending a day i want to be on camera well 
we get there, they're doing the, you know, they, it's basically the same kind of thing. We're like bust out and everything. Well, they give us lunch when we get there and like meatball subs or something. So we're eating, I just get my sandwich. It's hot. I'm getting ready and it's cold outside. So I'm getting ready to eat. I'm standing by the trash can. And one of the PAs comes out and says, uh, we need an extra uh, for a featured. And I was like, oh, I'm good to go. And she was like, well, you just got a sandwich. And I threw it in the trash. I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so she brings me inside and I'm at the counter. And so my whole thing was, is that I'm getting the money from the person who, uh, at, who's running the counter. And I'm like, Hey, thanks. And I walk out right past the lead as she's walking in. And so I was like, this is great. I'm going to be a featured, featured extra. I'm going to be definitely in this. So we rehearse it like five or six times and everything's good. Right before we roll, the director comes in who looks similar to me. We have the same glasses and he's like, uh, he's like, okay, uh, yeah, I want to move this and this and, uh, and he points to me and he's like, and I, I, we need to switch this guy out for somebody else. He just looks a little too hipstery. And I'm like, uh, no, I can, I mean, I can take the glasses off. He's like, no, man, it's okay. I'm a hipster too. It's cool. Uh, but we need somebody else in here. So I was like, fuck. And right. he took me and they put me outside walking past the window. And so uh, you never see me in it. I thought, okay, because I walk past them, but it's so close. You never see me. You don't see my coat. You don't see anything. Uh, I was yeah. wearing a big, big, nice, pretty nice, like, uh, you know, overcoat um, that I had. And uh, yeah, so I completely just, yeah, I was so close to being in that and then nothing. So I was like, I was really bummed, but my my roommate Jimmy is an actor as well, and Jimmy actually had a uh, a featured extra role on uh, Chicago Fire uh, on an episode oh. last season when they had a um, they had a like a a yard sale at the fire department, and he's red bearded man number one or so, or red beard man or something like that because Jimmy's got this huge long beard, and so yep. he's at the garage sale and he says sold. <laughs> that was his, <laughs> that's his line in the in the episode so but i was proud right. of him he's still getting residual he just got a residuals check from that the end of the day awesome so, love it but no i mean i've had other larger parts in movies with lines and things like that but yeah the only time i've actually truly been like an extra extra uh mm -hmm. was that one and i was like mm, i don't want to do that yeah <laughs> again i it, it was it was purely out of curiosity you make a make a few extra bucks it's not sure. very much it's a but cool experience. It is. It's, it's an experience. I just want to learn from it. We were talking about on a previous episode, experience right. as much as you can. And meet so I was people. like, I meet people. You've never done this. You know, I've never done anything like this. And what you're saying, meet some industry people, but you don't meet them. Yes, the director talked directly to me and the other five college right. scouts on this thing. He doesn't care. He's yeah, not going to, he he's not going to have a conversation. Mean. Oh, I'm a composer. I can write music right. for the, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. It's like, that did not If you meet happen. him on the street the next week, he won't remember who you are. And he won't even yeah. remember. There's 300 yeah. of us there. He it was like five right. minutes later. He forgot. Yeah. Um, so, so we're going through this thing and they shoot it several times from several different angles and then they have to flip it around and shoot it from the other angle, like from the other side of the gym mm -hmm. on this thing. So again, it was, it was 10 hours yeah. of standing there and that's, that's rough. I had good shoes on and everything, but I couldn't even walk at the end of this thing. You got a lunch break and everything, right? Okay. And that's another thing I want to ask you about this, about all this stuff. The higher, <laughs> the, the bigger budget. Obviously, on these things, the better the food. The food on this thing was unbelievable. They had anything, um, not anything you wanted, but the food they cooked was unbelievable. Fish, chicken, steak, mm. salad, steamed vegetables, high-end catering. I've been on these some of these other things, the game shows. You get a, uh, a uh, burrito bowl from Pollo Loco, or you get nothing and just little bags of chips and candies and things like this. If it's a union movie, they have like regulations on that kind of stuff. Like they have what you can and cannot have at craft services. They have what you can, and, which is the, like the snacking table. And then yep. they have what you can and cannot have for meals. Like I, I think that there's rules against like, you you know, on a lot of indie projects that we've all worked on in the past and stuff, we get pizza for everybody because it's cheap and it feeds a lot of people. Can't yep. do that on a movie set. You, you can't. You have to cater to different diets too. You have to have a vegan options and kosher options and all that yeah. stuff. 
but the the quality of the food on this thing was I, I, unbelievable. Some of the best, uh, one of the best meals I've had in weeks was on this was on this movie. It's better set. than macaroni and cheese, eh? Better than mac and cheese, frozen dinners, way better than any of that. Living shit, that you bachelor know? life there. In your oh, apartment. that's 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 all I do. Anything to make food quickly and easily. Somebody else yeah. makes it, or I just microwave it. That's all I eat. Yeah. Right. So the food, yeah, the food quality on this. You know how big a budget this thing is by how expensive the food is. Yeah. Um, so that was nice. Yes. We did get an hour break for lunch on this thing, and the food was very good. But still, I mean, my feet, my legs, my back, yeah. my butt, everything was just aching, yeah. you know, by the end of this thing. Because I'm not in good shape or anything, so that's, that's part of it, too. But uh, so at the end of this thing, you got to line up and get your voucher signed. And that's the only way you get paid. Just make sure right. you were there the whole time, and they sign you out. And then, you know, you have, if you're not with the company, you have to fill out W-9 and um, I-9 forms and everything. That's a whole different thing. And then they get all pissed off um, when you're in the wrong line because, but then they didn't tell you which line to be in. So it's, that's another whole chaotic thing, unorganization thing, um, where this second project I want to tell you about in a few minutes here, all that stuff was done beforehand. But this one, everything had to be done with physical forms and everything. And... Okay, so you got 300 extras sitting around waiting, you know, an hour, hour and a half to get their form signed. I mean, how many hundreds, if not thousands of dollars you have to pay all these people to get all this stuff? So anyway, I thought that was extremely unorganized, but you had to wait in the line to get all this stuff taken care of. I was like, I can't stand up anymore. I just Mm -hmm. had to wait for the line. I'm sitting there for an hour just like, you know, and a couple of guys I made friends with, the other college scouts. Um, it was like, man, don't you want to get in line, get out of here? I was like, dude, I can't stand up anymore. I can't even freaking walk. <laughs> so I had to wait, wait there and note uh, and to get self, wear orthopedic shoes next time. Orthopedic shoes. I had tennis shoes. On. I had these tennis shoes on. They were good shoes, but man, standing still, you know, I, and, and I was a teacher, you know, and you stand up all day for that. I was a bartender for a while too. You stand up all day for that eight, nine, 10 hours, same amount of time, but you're walking around and moving this thing. I'm standing in the same spot, not moving. So that's, that's, that's not easy, particularly someone who's not in shape like myself. Anyway, quite an experience for that, but I know I'm on camera. I know I'm on camera. And on also, I couldn't believe how many times I had to redo stuff, uh, reshoot things, because either the actors were making mistakes or there was some kind of problem with the cameras yeah. or some kind of problem with the sound, the boom yeah. operator. Boom operator was having trouble with the boom, like couldn't it, extend the boom arm. It, and it happens such... all the time. Or okay. you can't control See? it. You can't control okay. that stuff. Even on big movies, you can't control if a plane flies overhead and you get that, and then it screws up your audio. Yeah. See, I want to ask you about that. You know, I was like, you've been on smaller sets and bigger sets and everything. It's the same experience that yeah. even these big budget things, which supposedly everybody's like at the top of their game. I'm like, you can't figure out how to extend the boom arm. And it takes 20 minutes to figure that out. I'm like, well, what? what, what? It's, not, you know? it's not just that. It's not because, it, it, okay, so when people are moving, if they're static, it's super easy. But when you're doing like a basketball game, if you extend it, then the beginning of the process, you're missing out because you can't get it back far enough. So when you've got one person on a boom pole, and it's not like they can have that person lobbed really, like they can't have a lob mic on them because if they're running around, I mean, they might have it for backup purposes, but you know, you've got that going on. You're not going to be able to hear. So you always do multiple ways of that. And so when you've got a boom operator, a lot of time, those boom operators, sometimes they'll enter a shot and because they, they're trying to get their audio. So that's a hard job. I think that's a very, very hard job. And and some people are very good at it, but some people, you know, and even the professionals, it's like, you know, you, you watch movies and, and you'll see a boom in the shot and they'll be like, ah, boom shot. And there's an old joke. And we, we always say this on movie sets too. But I think when I was working on with that movie with Bob Picardo, he was said that it's been a joke for like 30 years. And I, I didn't know that. I thought, you know, we had kind of come up with it, but somebody would be like, we got a boom shadow, like across somebody's face. And so I would always sing, I'm being followed by a boom shadow, boom shadow, boom shadow. And like everybody sings, it's kind of a joke, right? <laughs> no. But Bob said everybody's been doing that for you know years and years since that song came out because that's a common thing. Hey, we got a boom shadow, got to do it again. Even if the boom mic isn't in the shot, the shadow 
of of the boom will cross a light and it comes across the actor's face and it ruins the illusion of whatever you're trying to do. People yep. don't realize that it's like any room that you're in in a movie you think, oh, it's, you know, they're just in a room. There's no lights in there. Well, <laughs> behind that camera is a massive amount of work that a that the DP has done and the gaffers and everybody to put those lights uh, up to make the shadows, to make the room look, quote, natural. Because when you just have a camera, it doesn't capture, you know, it looks wonky. It looks flat or it looks dead. There's no life to it. So that's filmmaking even more than theater, I think, is the most collaborative art form of, of any of the performing arts. It is the yeah. most because it encompasses everything, not the performance side and then like all the, you know, set the set builders, the set dressers, the properties people, the makeup people, the special effects makeup people, the visual effects people, and then like six different kinds of, of sections of audio and 12 different kinds of sections of, of uh, lighting and sound. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. That's why when you watch a movie, it feels like forever when you see the scrolls going through and all those people worked and, and probably only a quarter of them actually worked on set and the rest are all post-production or pre-production but still there's a lot of people that make those things run and and so you, you got to think about all the department heads all being at the top of their game and having to to work seamlessly with other department heads and there's egos involved and there's time constraints involved it's so much stress and uh you know it's it's not a small thing and the more money the more stress there is and the more people you have checking on people and when somebody feels like somebody's not doing the job they want it to be done then you have the overlapping and it's like a small village every movie is like a small village of people and it's so fun it is so fun if you love the work you know but you know, then you go back to your regular life. But for that brief, you know, whatever, a month or six months, however long you're working on the film, you know, you go to work every day, you're seeing the same people, you're living in your little dream world and your dream bubble, and it has its own stresses and its own pressures and its own like, you know, everything. And then you leave it and you go back to your regular life and you're like, oh, this is what real people are like. This is what real people do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I... I can't, for me, no matter what I'm doing, if, I, if I'm if i on a set, it's it's like I come alive. I, I love being on a film set. I I, I would, if, if I could do anything, I would be on a film set all the time. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I love making movies. I love the process of it. I love the stress. I mean, I could work a, and I have worked 21 hour days, you know, on things that shouldn't have been that, but they were. But you love it, you know, and you you go home and you're exhausted and you you shut your eyes for 45 minutes and then drive back out to the farmhouse you're shooting in and you do, and you do it, <laughs> you know. And uh, but when it's done, you're like, wow, I did that, you know, it, I lived that. And you can't help but be very present minded in it. You are living in the present because the movie making business forces you to live in the present. You can't be too anxious about what's coming forward and you can't regret the past. So you're not like in your regular life where you have to be still because you can't be still. Even if you're being still as an extra, you know, standing there for, you're like having to be present. You're having to be present minded and be like, I have to be in it. When the camera's on, you're, you're in it, you know? Yeah. And um, everybody's like that, you know, the, everybody has to hold their breath and be quiet and like give their focus to the people who need the focus and be ready in case anything happens, you know? Oh, we got a boom in the shot. Reset. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Time is money. Time is money. You know, it's, it's crazy. It is a crazy business. It's a crazy industry. So much can go wrong. It is literally a miracle every time a movie even gets into production, let alone makes it through all of production, post-production, and actually makes it out to getting uh, distributed and out into the world. I mean, it's it's a miracle that because it's so collaborative, because there's so many people that have to touch every single fucking aspect of that from inception of the writer to the end when you get that physical, you know, Blu-ray in your hand or you're watching it on a streaming service, how many people gave so much of their lives to make that happen? That's a fucking miracle. It, it, it truly is. It, I hear all what you're saying. That, that is, it, 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 I, I hear all of that, but being in it and seeing the process and going through that stuff, but the, the amount of mistakes that were being made, that, that was a, a revelation 
to me that, you know, problem, problem with the boom, Mike. And um, when we're talking about the boom, this lady was trying to get the boom near the dad who was on the sidelines and had a line. And so she had trouble doing that. I was like, why are you having so much trouble doing that? And then there was a camera woman in the stands of the basketball game and she's trying to get the right angle and then they said did you get the shot and it's like i didn't quite get him in that thing can we do it again just for the camera woman you know i was like how are you missing this how are you miss how are you missing these things these seeming okay seemingly simple things to me why are these professional camera woman uh boom operator why are these professionals missing these seemingly simple things which blew my mind on this thing but see it's it's one of those things that when you step out and just look at it from this perspective and i'm playing devil's advocate here but no i just want to want to talk to you about yeah yeah if you take a step out of it like you you don't know what they're doing you're not a camera person you're not a sound person so to you it's like well it really it just makes sense that you point the camera it's there but you don't know what lens they have you don't know if they're rack focusing right so that means that you know like they're they're on the game that girl in the in the stands that you're talking about the camera operator if if that woman that is in there sorry not girl woman uh if she is in that the stands and she's focusing on the 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 basketball players and then she has to rack focus change the the focus depth to get you guys in focus you don't know that stuff so that's why when they're saying like oh i don't have it there's usually more complicated things going on it's just like if somebody else was looking at like one of the extras and the director had to come over and tell you guys hey hey like you said don't you guys calm down you're you're not trying to get the um you know you're not you're not going crazy here you're trying to recruit them so we don't want you doing the same thing well if it, if it was a trained actor a trained actor might sit back and go well pff, that's obvious why would you be doing that but you, you guys aren't trained actors necessarily or you, you why would you even think that you know they're like hey crowd and you're in the crowd so you're gonna be you know so it's like you take a step back and you're looking at somebody else's job, but there's so many different things going on. It's hard to make those judgment calls. It's easy for us to to, to make the calls and go, well, come on. I mean, why can't you extend the thing or why don't you just turn it? But then you get in there and you do it and it's like, oh, shit, that's you're right. This is this is hard or this is this is tricky because there's there's usually more going on than what we can see, you know, but but it, it does. And you're right. I mean, people. I think in general, we all, even those of us that are in the industry, right? You and me, we're in the industry, but you, we put certain job levels or certain people on pedestals like, oh, they're perfection. Like Howard Shore doesn't make mistakes, you know, <laughs> right? Oliver Stone, you, Steven Spielberg, these people don't make mistakes. They are God Never. people, you know, Never. right? And we, we think that. And like these actors, you're like, oh, Ian McKellen, he never flubs a line. You know, Ian McKellen never shows up late to set or or stays out too late drinking. You know, there's certain things that we just assume about people. But then you look at it and really the realistic, uh, you know, the reality of filmmaking is that it is a job. It is a job. Actors, yes, it is. There's celebrity and all that. That's that is separate from movie making. That is a byproduct of it. And that is something our society does. But it is an entertainment job. These people, the actors, the the technicians, the the directors, all of them, they are this is how they make their living. This is what they're trained to do, but they have bad days. They have off days. They get sick and they still have to go to work. They make mistakes. Just like if you're a barista at Starbucks and you spill something and somebody's like, "Come on, man, you're a professional. Why are you doing this?" Or you make a drink wrong or you're in an office, you know, and you screw up and don't call the client in time and then you have an angry client. It's the same thing. It's just it's their office. It's a different kind of office. It's a different kind of structure, but they're just real people doing real jobs and it's hard. I yeah, I was, I was I was just I was merely surprised by yeah. how many mistakes occurred, how many times I had to redo things for yep. seemingly simple things. Right. All right, and um, and you know I'm not trying to name drop here, but I was on Family Guy for eight years, and if you may, <laughs> even, oh, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> Seth MacFarlane. Oh, I'm sorry. How about um, <laughs> me, me and Sethy Poo, as I call him? So, yeah, 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 but. On that, when I was on that, if you made a mistake, even like a mistake that's interpretable, like um, uh, when you're writing notes out on the score, you could write anharmonics could be spelled in different ways. It could be a sharp or a flat. Like A sharp is the same as B flat. It's right. the same note though. But if you made that interpretable mistake on there, that was still a mistake. 
and you were crucified for those things when I was on Family really? Guy. Any any kind of little mistake like that, you were, you were just like, who did that? Who was it? Was it the composer who I work for, Ron Jones? Rarely he would make a mistake. I'd say maybe once a year he would make right, a mistake. Right. He would never make a mistake. So it was very, it was rare that it was him. Next person would be an orchestrator was what I did, was making his thing work mm. for an orchestra. And did he, did I put it in the correct school order? Was everything written out? And you got to pay attention to the things like that. And harmonics, does it look right? Is it playable for a musician to read it and play yeah. it? And then it goes to a copyist. A copyist takes my score and writes out all the parts for the flutes, the clarinets. He writes all those parts out. And then it goes to the musician performing it while at the recording session. So who made the mistake? Was it the composer, the orchestrator, the copyist, or the musician? And bam, within a second or two, you know who immediately made a mistake. And so I'm on this film set of a big production movie, and I'm seeing all this stuff go by. I'm like, how, how, again, how, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that these things get made. It was, it was such a revelation to me. So I, I, you know, I'm, you're, you're telling me all these things and I'm listening to it and I'm, I'm more aware of the difficulties of yeah. these things, which I was not beforehand because all I right. did was post post-production stuff with, with yeah. TV shows and movies and things like that. So it was, it was quite an experience, a revelation. I, I don't want, I don't want to do it again. I got one more movie <laughs> to talk about. Um, but, um, well, another really experience, quickly, very similar, really but, quickly. I, yeah. I, I really want to hear that. I want to hear how different they were, but when you're talking about the mistakes and things like that, and you know, I know that part of that also is how, who's running your, your, who's the department head, how are they running the department, what kind of manager they are, what kind of, um, how, how do they facilitate um, their team and support their team. And sometimes you have even directors, you know, from the top down, you know, the, the, that are more like uh, generals telling you exactly what to do and how to do it. And they're very strict and rigid. And then you have people that are more laid back. And I, I've heard a lot of stories. I, I've been following a lot more as I've been getting more into writing and production and directing and stuff and getting more interested in um, uh, writers' rooms of television, uh, things like that. You know, I, I've been doing some more research and following more writers. And you just hear how some of these shows that I'm, I'm loving right now on, on, um, on television, uh, just to name it two there, I'm talking specifically about, um, uh, like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, and, uh, you know, Rob McElhenney created that show and then, um, moved over. And now he also has, um, mythic quest, which is a, a killer show on Love Apple TV. Yeah. Love and then both. also, um, Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Well, their writers rooms, you know, you hear their writers talk and they, love writing those and on on sunny the three guys write a lot of the stuff but they also have other people helping write but on mythic quest they have a writer's room and a lot of the writers are actors on the show as well and play the main main characters and then they have other writers and it's so collaborative and uplifting and all the ideas are yes they gets filtered through rob and everything or the directors and and, and everything but you hear them talk and there's so much love and so much people are are encouraged to take risks, to be themselves, to make mistakes. And when you have a set like that, you tend to make less mistakes because you're not worried about screwing something up. When you when you have that kind of dictatorship mindset, you know, it's it makes the art suffer. You know, none of us can be our best selves if you're doing that. And um and so when you see those shows and you see them succeeding and you see you you it's like you want to be a part of them because they're so much fun to watch. Like Ted Lasso is that way too. And they have that process of real collaboration and admiration for each other. And you hear the writers talk about in interviews about how they've been on other shows that had less than um, acceptable writers rooms where the writers actually hated the show and it was just a job. And then you have these shows where they love going to work every day and love creating. And th that's a huge difference. And that comes down from a showrunner, from an executive producer. It can come down from the director if they're an auteur and they're like handling everything. I mean, it, it really does come from those like department heads down on how those things are, are managed. And, and so sometimes if they're, you know, if they're making a lot more mistakes, it, it could be legitimate technical issues or it could be that person's making more mistakes. Most likely it's because they're not because they're incompetent, but because they're not being supported, you know, just like in any job, you know, they're not given the tools. They're not being, um, uh, 
not coddled, but they're not being protected and given the license to to be themselves enough. And I, I think in the arts, you have to do that even more than you do in a in a business setting. Um, oh, of anyway, course, I, of course, I, I hear so you on that. That's I just wanted to bring that out too that that could be a reason. But well, that's that's what I want to hear. I want to hear your side and your opinion on on these things. It's just as is like from a technical side of things, sing, things that seem simple to me were not being executed nearly as well as I thought they could have been mm-hmm. um, as, as far as dealing with 300 extras, um, how things would work, how many times we had to redo a shot because of some seemingly simple problem. All right. right. So that one was quite an experience. I already got my paycheck for that one. Not going, not going back. <laughs> yeah. Thank but you, I Disney. did. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Disney. I will, t- I will cash your check. Um, but um, I did sign up for one more, uh, one more project as an extra. Um, I'll say it's an 80s movie, which is exciting to me right there. So I grew up in the 80s and everything. And uh, one aspect of it to it, we were talking about earlier, the wardrobe aspect of it to it. So um, it's set in New York City, and so they're trying to uh, dress me like a New York City theater, like you're going to the theater, like you're dressed yeah. up for that. And uh, this woman is giving me clothes and everything, and um, it's, you know, yes, it's 80s clothes, but the shirt she gave me was so ugly. I, I was like, are you sure you want me to wear this thing? It was like, it was almost like a Hawaiian shirt. It was so ugly. And I was like, is this like a hip 80s thing, you know? And there was another one that was like like a dark green teal silk shirt. I was like, can I wear that one? She's like, no, 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 you're wearing this one. And it was so ugly and everything. So I was very disappointed in the shirt, which leads to what happened later on at the set because of this stupid shirt. So same thing. You go to a parking garage and you get shuttled to the uh, set. And same issue level of organization is crazy. Okay, yeah, you're dealing with a lot of extras, maybe about 150 extras this time. And and I realized, you know, the you know, trying to wrangle in 150 people, whoever it is, is tough. Wardrobe again, very disorganized. Oh, I don't know what is this? Is this yours? Did you get this at the fitting? Is this and I was like, "Yes, I recognize that. Yes, that's mine. No, that's not mine. You're mixed up. That's wrong." Uh blah blah blah. And so it you know, that part was again chaotic. And then, so I'm wearing this ugly shirt and these and these pants and everything, and a nice jacket actually. So it covered up a lot of the shirt and everything. So again, we're sitting in the holding area, and then this guy who's kind of like in charge, sort of, and he's like, "I need twelve people. We're doing an intermission during a theater production. All you're doing is milling around outside in the theater production." So they said, "Okay." And this is the '80s, so you could smoke at intermission. They said, "We need two girls to smoke," and so they had these two girls smoking. And the girls on this one, holy crap! <laughs> the hairdos on this thing—it was like Cameron Diaz in something about Mary, where it's like right, straight up and everything. Yeah, the big bangs, straight up big poofy curly hair hey the we gir- lived through those we lived through those times we lived we those, those things times. <laughs> but the thing was it didn't look stupid it looked like that as like that's how women and girls looked and i mean like 18 and older or maybe 20 and older right. or whatever that's yeah, how like that's how they dress up into college yeah yeah i was like those were the hairdos and everything but you see all these women coming in with those big big poofy hairdos and everything but and most of the clothes didn't look bad. It wasn't like cheesy. I think I had the worst shirt out of everyone. Um, but and so most of the clothes look actually pretty cool and everything. And so so anyway, this guy comes on and goes, okay, but I'm picking twelve people. And he goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve. I was like number. I was number six. I was like, okay, I, we're going on a scene. We're going to do a thing. And so we get up there, and this guy says, okay, you stand here. You stand here. This is an intermission of a theater production. All you got to do is just stand there or walk around. Two girls smoking at the bar, whatever. And he keeps walking up and down, and he keeps skipping me. Okay, he looks at me, and he goes, okay, somebody else. You know, somebody else. He keeps skipping over me. And I really think it was his shirt. You know, I really, I really do. It was you were very ugly, self-conscious about this. I was shirt. very self-conscious. I was like, man, I should have got that. I should have fought for that green shirt. It was so much better thing because it just looked terrible. And then another, another thing was with the wardrobe are the wardrobe are constantly walking around the holding area, like checking, make sure the wardrobe looks good. And so like, oh, you're not supposed to wear that jacket. And I swear, four different people told me to either put the jacket on or take the jacket off. And then I get over to the thing. I was like, where's your jacket? I was like, we're inside. Should I be wearing this heavy jacket? Because it's supposed to be wintertime in New York. And I was like, no, you, should be, you shouldn't be wearing the jacket. Another person comes by. You should be wearing that jacket. Why aren't you wearing your jacket? I was like, that guy just told me to take it off. 
it was just just me alone just me alone it was so chaotic you know what and and those guys all four of them they were in the back and they were like hey listen you see that guy over there you see that guy that nerdy looking guy over there with that shirt yeah we made him wear that shirt and uh Let's fuck with them a little that's bit. That's what I'm wrestling with. It was all for you. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. And the, last, and the last lady came by, you know, they're all very calm and everything. And she goes, why aren't you wearing the shirt? I was like, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude. I was like, three other people told me something different already. I don't even know what to do anymore. I don't know what just to do. Just go shirtless. Just go you know? shirtless. And I was, I was ready to rip the shirt off like Incredible Hulk and just go with the jacket and bare chest and everything. So I, I, was, it was, so, I was so frustrated. I was like, but like just me, just me, some yeah. dumbass, some dumbass extra. All this. The director would definitely remember you if you did. Yeah. <laughs> when he sees you a week later. Hey, yeah, yeah. it's the it's the no it's, shirt guy. It's, it's no shirt guy. Incredible Hulk. Let's dude. go get yeah. a drink. Let's go get a glad, drink. Uh, glad to have you back. Oh, you do music? Yeah, let's chat. You know. So whatever, oh, you know. take your shirt off. I don't, I don't want you with the shirt on. <laughs> Forget the music. I just want you shirtless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so they're so they're picking all these other people and good looking people, really good looking people, men and women. I was like, of course, please, please, yes, they're so much better than me. And I got this ugly ass shirt on, so I was like, fine, please pick them. And then they went in there, shot the scene. We're waiting for them to go back. And everybody on the set, the whole staff, everybody loves to say rolling. Everybody's got earpieces, so when the director says rolling, you hear. We're in a we're in a theater in uh, downtown Los Angeles, and the director says rolling. The whole staff, everyone says rolling right after the director says it. You know, um, so that was that was a little bit annoying. Or anything. Anyway, I didn't get. They on have camera. to do that though. I like realize that. Yeah, like typically they're supposed these, to do that so that if anybody walks yeah. in, they know that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's all people walking around. Again, it's a it's a gigantic film set. It's a it's a '80s movie, but it's it's big, big budget. Another big budget project, and um, yeah. So there's people everywhere, and so I, was, oh, I understand that. But rolling, yeah. rolling. Like, oh, so anyway, we got got through that scene, and then later on, they had us. Uh, there was supposed to be an outside scene of people walking by the camera outside a store, and um, you're supposed to walk by it dressed in heavy you know, 80s clothes. It's supposed to be wintertime New York City. And they took over They took over the sidewalk in Los Angeles. But they're supposed to let pedestrians be able to walk by. They're not allowed to block pedestrians. I mean, so you got pedestrians walking by all over the place. They got a really couple good-looking 80s taxi cabs. It was amazing looking and everything. They're driving by every once in a while. And then you got people like people walking on the other side of the street, and they got their cameras up and, or their phones up, and they're trying to film all this stuff, take pictures and everything. And so I got in the front of the line of pedestrians walking in front of the camera. I was like, man, I'm going to get on camera. Forget this ugly shirt. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting on camera. You take I'm it off, all- throw it in the trash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something I'm getting on camera. And so I get up pretty close to the front and I did get, I did walk by the camera uh, two times on two takes. I, I walked by the camera, but, um, but then they changed the whole thing. And then these two people came in and they stepped in front of me and they were walking, you know, when I was supposed to be. So maybe I got in the movie, maybe I didn't, but I don't care. I was just happy to get out of there and paycheck. You'll be you'll be on the poster. It'll just yeah. be <laughs> on the poster, shirtless with the jacket. Yeah, it was, shirtless it was, in it was, New York. Yeah, it was it was so chaotic. I I just I was like, how do how do you do that every day? Like, and people are telling you're waiting in the holding area for forever to get on the camera and everything for hours, for hours. Mm-hmm. And they had 150 people. I swear, they didn't even use half of them. I was like, yeah. not even half of them, not even a quarter of them got on camera. I was like, what do you need all these people for? You're yeah. paying all these people all day long. Um, and all these people had to be fitted with clothes. I was like, you don't even use a quarter of them. It was crazy. So uh, quite an experience. But you've already said what I, what I thought you might say. is like, you know, it's, it's a miracle these things get, get made. There's a lot of technical issues. I do not know how to operate a camera. I do not know how to operate these things. Uh, dealing with other people, hierarchy of you know director, assistant director, you know whatever it is, producer. Um, so it was again a, a, something I experienced and went through, but learned a lot from it. You know about oh, the filmmaking absolutely. industry, and it's too like you know these things are being filmed right now, so they'll they'll come out in I, I guess another year or so, but. Um, it's, yeah. it's, these things are being done right now. So I was just kind of happy to be a part of it, particularly the white men can't jump because I love the first one, but yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be anything like the first one. So 
remake. Based it's a on, true based remake on what too. I saw. It's not like a. It's not a sequel. It's a. It's an actual remake. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's it was it was quite an experience with those. You're <laughs> those so things. extra, Brian. I am, man. I am a complete extra on these things. I, I just yeah. super, truly superfluous. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're like I said, you're going to be on the poster. It's going to be you walking into yeah. that theater. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, it's cool experiences, you know, and you did something else in the film industry that you've not done before. So it's that's exciting well yeah. and i and i and you said this earlier and i think i said this earlier too i was like well maybe i'll get to meet the director maybe i'll meet somebody on this thing but you're not even close to them at all you're you all you are around other extras yeah. and the and and the like the guy who's like in charge of the extras that's that's yeah. it he's like you don't get close to the higher ups on on these no. things as I a, mean, as an extra sometimes if you're a featured extra meaning you you know you're like specific like even though you don't have lines you know you're like in a group or something like that or you have you know maybe a couple of lines here and there you know you're like a featured day player which is kind of like a glorified i mean it's more than an extra you get paid on a different scale and everything but um you know some of those times you might get to meet some of the act the lead actors or you might meet you know uh, higher up producers or directors it just depends on that um i know one movie um this is back when I was in, I think it was 2008-ish, 2009-ish. Um, I think I was out of college or right around the time I was leaving college, um, so I didn't graduate, and a bunch of us actors um, from Springfield drove down to Memphis, Tennessee to audition for an Oliver Stone movie. They were going to make a movie, a Bruce Willis movie, um, about the Pinks, Pinksville massacre. The pink, I think it was called Pinksville and it was a, it was a Pinksville massacre in Vietnam. And, um, I don't know much about that. So I might be saying that wrong, but I think it was Pinksville. I think that's what they called it. Um, and we actually dressed in like fatigues, and like kind of like Vietnam era clothing, we went to the to the uh, some some people had some extra things that we pieced together, or we went out to the um, army surplus that was still open in that in that area back then. We all got together. Um, we drove down to Memphis, Tennessee, for the day, and which is it's kind of far. Um, and uh, actually, I think it's like six and a half hours or something. It wasn't like crazy far, but um, and we we all auditioned, and I think all of us made it fat past the cut, the first cut. And, um, and then a couple of people had line readings that they were asked to do. One of our, we, I think there were six of us. We all crammed into a car and, um, it was great. We were out there all day and they were like, you, 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 you come on, you, you, you know, thank you. Thank you. And let lots of people go. There were tons of people there. It was a mass call. Right. And, um, we would have been featured extras in Bruce Willis's platoon and would have gone to like Cambodia, I think for three months to shoot. And Whoa. I was super excited about it. I was like, wow, I think we made it past this cut. There's a good chance. They were doing casting in Memphis and they were doing casting in New York and they were going to pick these people based on that. And I thought we all looked kind of rough. You know, we were looking like people that had been in, in Vietnam for a while, you know, like not like brand new right off the, right off the, the helicopter kind of, you know, new recruits, but like people that had been seasoned that had been out there for a while in the bush and, uh, basically we just didn't take care of ourselves and looked sloppy. And so we, we went out there, we did the thing, we went out, we ate, we ate everything. We all felt really good about ourselves, patting ourselves on the back for taking it so seriously and going out for that audition, um, you know, on the crazy chance we'd get it. And on literally on the way home, we're driving back and on the radio, they're talking about the writer's guild strike. Oh. And, uh, which is what had just happened. And, um, and I actually, I can't remember if it was the SAG strike or the writer's guild strike. It was either the SAG, one of the SAG strikes or one of the writer's guild strikes. I think this one was the writer's guild strike. If I remember right, we could talk to Al Marsh when he comes on the show. He was one of the guys that went with me, Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. but yeah, Al was one of the, the guys that went with me and Al, God, he's working like crazy. Now I'm so proud of him. He's doing great things. He was just on the offer. Um, and he had a big role oh. on the offer. He's in like two episodes, definitely in one episode, maybe in two episodes of the offer in a featured role. He's got speaking lines and everything. He's, he's great in it. We got to have him on now. Absolutely. Yeah, got to have him on now. But and he's constantly auditioning and working and just, just killing it in LA now. Um, yeah. but anyway, he, uh, back then, you know, we all went out there and uh, so we're driving back and on the radio, they're talking about the strike and they're listing all these movies that just came in that are being canceled and they listed Oliver Stone's Pinksville 
film oh, and we're man. driving home like we were only a cut like we were like three or four <laughs> hours on the road and we hear that and all of us are just like are you fucking kidding me oh. you know because we had just auditioned for this thing that day there was no we didn't even know you know but it was just like done and then he that movie got put on the back burner schedules changed and he went on when the writers guild or the sag or whoever was striking when it was over he went on to make w instead he had moved on to a different project and that movie got uh, made so yeah. the movie never got made um and all of us you know so but you know uh, it was a cool experience it was a neat a neat experience going through that um but that's my only other and i had forgot about that but that's my only other um extra like trying to be you know get an extra role on something just going out for an extra part um yeah. But it was a cool experience because it was fun to go out there with those guys, um, you know, some good good people from the past that we all used to do a lot of indie stuff, indie films together, and just just like four four or five actors driving in a car, heading out there, you know. Oh, Rodney Wiseman was in that group too, and Ryan Shields. Yeah, it was okay. it was a good time, good time. Um, yeah, wow. but uh, yeah, I know it was a, such a bummer. <laughs> You know, you get back home and you're like, well, we did it at least. It was a cool experience. And I can say, you know, Memphis was really neat. Great food. Um, you know, we were on, uh, I think Beale Street is what they call it. Yeah, Beale Street, the famous street there. Yeah, that B.B. King's place is on Beale Street and stuff. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was a cool, cool town. I definitely but to hear, But to hear about it on the ride back, you know, it's That's like, we're not, so weird. We're not it's even, not like, we didn't even yeah. get back and we're already canceled. What the hell? It's yeah. like a cartoon. It, it really is. It's like a cartoon or a TV show because you wouldn't think it would happen that fast, but it did. It was on the way home, literally driving home that we heard that the movie that we had just auditioned for made it past the first cut, thought we might have a chance of getting in. Yeah. was canceled that is insane to me like it wasn't yeah. a couple of days later it wasn't something we read in the paper it was on the radio when we were coming we just happened to be listening to the radio and just happened to hear that jeez oh wow so i uh yeah well i i i do want to ask you about this and i was hoping you had some stories and you did have some stories about being <laughs> an extra so you you, yeah. you you know i'm I'm learning more about this stuff but being on that being on those two sets was yeah again quite an experience and i learned a lot I, I did learn yeah. a lot and i learned and i learned that i don't want to go back <laughs> <laughs> i i've done multiple jobs on different film sets you know being an actor being in front of the camera and being behind the camera in, in various capacities and um you know i i've not done every job by far but i've been around the people who do them very you know very professional people who this is their livelihood and then i've been around people who are just learning you know students and amateur filmmakers too who um, are very skilled and um, i think every single job from the people who are you know the the craft service people who provide the food and keep up with that stuff um all the way up and up and up into the the producer roles and things like that no matter what the responsibility is it's a lot of work it's a lot of focus it's a lot of dedication sometimes it's incredibly long hours for not a lot of pay and you know we hear stories about these actors and directors and producers who are making millions of dollars and things like that that's really not the case most of the time Now, acting acting pays better than a lot of the crew roles get paid which is silly but it is um it does and but acting's hard like really acting in a in a movie it's a lot of work it's not just memorizing lines and looking pretty it's um there's a lot of work that goes into it to be to be good and be very successful in it um, and the focus that you have to have as an actor on camera, I think is even harder than in the theater because in the theater, you're immersed in the world that you're in, right? You're in a play for 90 minutes, for two hours, whatever, you know, you're in it. You are there in the world. And the only time that you might break character is when you leave the stage. But if you're on the stage the whole time under those lights, it's very easy to get lost in it. You can't see the audience. You can't see a camera. You're in it. You hear the sounds. You're in the world. You're on a set. You're living and breathing the moment. You've rehearsed it a bunch of times, so you're not thinking about your lines. You're just living and breathing with that other actor. When you get into a movie situation, it's very, very different. You have to look a certain way. They're set constantly setting up, taking stuff down, moving lights, adjusting and tweaking microphones. Sometimes based on, and I know we've talked about this, but sometimes, you know, based on 
um, who you're talking to and where the camera angle is, you have to look off of their eye line or you're acting to a ping pong ball that's supposed to be an animated uh, dinosaur that's your best buddy in the movie, you know, or they change the dialogue uh, 30 minutes before they're about to shoot and it's an entire paragraph that you have to just memorize or you, if you can't, you're taping it to your leg like uh, Sean Bean did as uh, Boromir in Lord of the Rings. They changed his whole one simply does not walk into Mordor. They changed the dialogue right before he was going to shoot. He didn't have time to, remem to memorize it. So he oh. had to tape that. That's why he keeps looking down in that scene. And, you know, there's other people like Marlon Brando who are just freaking nuts and don't believe in memorizing lines because they want to be in it, which that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but whatever. And so Marlon Brando would have people holding cue cards. Holding cue cards in front of him. Yeah, because he wouldn't memorize yeah. lines. Yeah, but, I knew that. But, yeah, but see, there's there's all sorts of weird things like that that like, and we talked a little bit about that in the Brando episode, I think, when we were talking yeah. about him. Um, yeah. But But, you know, acting for camera is just the focus that you have to have to be in it is so crazy because that camera is going to blow your face up to the size of a movie screen, an IMAX screen, you know, a large screen TV in HD. And if you're not in it, if you're not believing the truth of the moment of what you're in, that camera is going to pick it up and it's going to read as false. And so um, I think it was Spencer Tracy that said, plant your feet and tell the truth. And that's all you need to be an actor. I think that was Spencer Tracy that said that. I know it's been rehashed and a lot of actors believe in that. And I believe in that. You have to tell the truth. You have to be an honest, truthful performer. And to do that with all that other shit going on with the lights, you know, you're looking at a lens and you've got all these people watching you and sometimes they're doing stuff. And like, you know, that whole thing with Christian Bale freaking out on the one person on the Terminator movie. And it's like, everybody's railing Christian Bale. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of for Christian Bale in this situation because I don't approve of anybody yelling at anybody. I don't. But from what I understand, that was like the last straw. You know, he had said this to this person many times. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And he's doing this emotional scene where he's acting like in a green screen environment to something that's not there. And he's having to be emotional and it's capturing him and it's his ass on the line because he's the one that's in the movie. And somebody's adjusting a light and tweaking it, and it takes him out of the moment. And for him to do his job, which is not easy, uh, everybody thinks acting is easy. It is not, but any job is hard. But like to do that while he's trying to do his job was, you know, that was really not respectful. I I think of of what he was trying to do. And uh, I, should he have yelled? No, he shouldn't have yelled. But I can understand the frustration from where he was, and everybody's just like, oh, he's a dick. He's a dick. But you know, at the, at what point do you, you know, he said, I've said this to you before. He said, you know, you, we got the end of the argument and then we're sitting there making judgments on it. So it's, you know, whatever. basically what I'm saying is that, you know, everybody's job is really difficult acting. You know, people look at these jobs, like you were looking at the, the sound and it's like, well, this seems obvious. Just like people that watch acting, good actors make it look effortless. It's like, Oh, well, that's easy. I can do that. Not everybody can do that. Not no, everybody can be an actor. There's people that say that every, anybody can act. It's that I don't believe that. Um, because it takes a lot, a lot of work. Um, and I'm not trying to be like arrogant or facetious or I don't know any other term. You know, it's people can do it if they put the work into it, I think, but it takes a certain amount of imagination and a lot of focus and a lot of dedication to do it well. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Just like anything. I mean, it's like people are like, oh, anybody can learn an instrument. Well, that's not necessarily true because there's a certain sense that there's a technicality to doing it. And then there's an artistry to doing it. And the artistry is where some people don't have it. Right. Anybody can learn the technical aspects of how to do something. If they work at it enough, they'll get it. But there's something that separates the truly great artists from the technical aspect of it. And even those technicians on a movie set, even the people, you know, the, definitely the people behind the camera, um, but like the people that are doing the sound and the people that are, you know, manipulating the lighting and the people who are, um, you know, handling set dressing and all that stuff. It's like there's a there's a skill level and there's an artistry level and there's an education level. And all of those have to be kind of combined to to be truly great and to make and to make, you know, make a career out of. And um, there's so many wonderful opportunities in the film world to do all sorts of different things on camera or off camera. And um, 
that's what's so cool about it, I think. So if you find yourself wanting to get involved with it, but you're not like necessarily the best at one thing, there might be something else that you could be just absolutely amazing at and still get to live in that world and have those little micro micro universes that you can live in for a while. Well, I, I will stick to post-production work myself. I, I, I love <laughs> writing music for films. I love doing that side of it, not being on camera, not having to stand there and, and do things and, and fight for my position with another extra on the camera. Um, but uh, Two extras was, was, enter, one man leaves. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he was really hitting me too. He's like, he's like really bumping in me because he knew, because he wanted to get on the camera. Uh, but but, he's gonna, um, he's gonna be but I learned someday. a lot. I, I did learn a lot. So I, I will say that I learned a lot. And uh, just now I got a better, and now I got a better perspective of just on set, on set. This is what happens on set. It's Every a lot set. of work, isn't it? It this is. This is just what happens. So people are working Before it hard even just gets to, to you for you to score. Now you yeah. know all that shit that goes into it. it yeah. Crazy. And these and these were just two tiny little scenes. Forget about a, you know, hour and a half, two hour movie. I mean, these are two tiny scenes that I was that in. That scene so. might be three minutes in the movie, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Know. Yeah. All that yeah. work for that much film. Yeah. And think about all right. the hours it's gonna take those editors to put that scene together. Take all that footage. All that sound, compress it, mix it, add in extra sound effects, add the color correction, all that stuff for that one little scene. So, yeah, yeah. So I much higher appreciation for all those jobs and, and all those people, all the extras and everything. Every Again, what you're saying, every aspect of filmmaking, it is a miracle. <laughs> a miracle. And anything gets done. You know? Even that one shot gets done. You know? I feel it's a miracle that I get to talk to you every a oh, few weeks come on these episodes so <laughs> it was a miracle listening to you talk about this and it was good to be back and it, it's good to uh to get back to these episodes and to to chat with you always a good time my friend um and uh look forward to our next one. Oh man so glad to have you back and we'll we'll get we'll get another episode going soon all right. And hey, all of you guys listening out there, uh, if you'd like to uh, to join the conversation to, um, you know, get it, maybe have some questions answered or some topics discussed, hit us up on our social media. You'll be able to see it at the end of the reel here. Um, and uh, we'll have it in the show notes as well. Hit us up on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, anywhere you can find us. And we have our email address available for you as well. Um, so hit us up, join the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. In experiences that you've had within the industry or outside of the industry with life in general um, with your art trying to balance your life and your your passions uh, that's what it's all about so um, join us and uh, we hope you join us next time for our next episode thanks Brian all right talk to you later